Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impact these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Before we get started, if you are loving this podcast, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review and share the episode. All right, so today we're going to be talking about cannabis crossing over into the luxury market. Uh, Our first guest was the CEO of an award-winning content marketing agency in New York City before coming to Luxury Meets Cannabis Conference, serving as their executive director and chief content officer. Please welcome Mr. Jed Wexler. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you for making the time. And as always, I am pleased to welcome back our leader of our amazing research team here at New Frontier Data and our chief knowledge officer, Mr. John Kagia. Pleasure to be back, Heather. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Jed, we want to hear a bit more about how what brought you into cannabis. Um, I know that you have a long career in content marketing. I even saw you spent eight years in fashion marketing or the fashion industry. It's a great I mean, question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, how did you get to cannabis? Well, there's kind of three three ways, three things that dovetail. The first one is around 2016, 17, my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, you know, people of his generation just were fed a stream of pharmaceuticals and chemicals. And, you know, um, and so, you know, I wanted to get him out of that. And so he's been a, you know, a, a he smoked for 50 years. He's, he's old school. And so we started him on more plant-based and, and CBD and really being intentional about what he smokes and what he ingests. And this is not a medical claim, but like it's made all the difference. If you see him today, it's as if, so nothing happened, you know, it's, he's very normal, you know, and that's the personal piece. And on the business side, my company has, you know, that last 10 or 15 years has helped these big trade show groups, A, create trade shows, their own trade shows, and bring uh, retailers to exhibitors and provide all of their their content. And so we did a lot of fashion and then a lot of lots of different lifestyle merchandise. And then, you know, within that, we I'd see, I'd walk some of these shows and I'd see these outlying cannabis related brands exhibiting I'm like you don't belong here or you need a platform you know and and kind of the third piece which speaks to equity is also personal which is my children and my family are multiracial you know so all of that dovetailing together in 2016-17 we thought my partners and I thought well we need to create a platform a b2b platform that speaks to the normalization of the category, the modernization, and this mainstream retail channel that's opening up and give them this platform and opportunity to uh, do business in a really elevated setting. And so you have the business, you have the personal, and then you have, you know, equity, which from the beginning, we've always aimed to integrate. uh, And, you know, thankfully, the retail mainstream has has caught up and this is the year that it's really, really hitting. So that's kind of the the foundation story. I love that. I love hearing the personal story. I feel like we're hearing it more and more of people mm-hmm. that 
have had, you know, their elderly or older parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles that have been using it for, you know, not to get high, but to treat glaucoma or treat something that it's really touched them and really affected their lives in such a positive way. Right. And and now everything, you know, the retail experience is so sophisticated. I can actually go into dispensaries and Canada's boutiques and be really specific as to what my father needs and for what, and it's mm-hmm. and and my family as well. Whether it's sleep, anxiety, uh, wellness, and people really understand that, you know. And uh, I think that's all had a really big impact. And I've I've been struck by the innovation that I see everywhere in the industry, whether it's CBD, hemp, farming, branding, packaging, you know, marketing, ingredients, cannabis. So I think there's so many stories to tell and. Uh, or fortunate so far, or privileged to be able to tell them for all these folks. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I feel like I could, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'll try to keep it short, shorter within this five hour, five hour podcast, right? Yeah. We're like, give Seth Rogen a run for his money. <laughs> yeah, right. sorry, John. <laughs> uh, all right, well, moving on to our articles and thank you for that. Thank you for, um, you know, explain that all to us. I think it means a lot. But let's see. So Forbes.com reported the cannabis cuisine scene grows at the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen. So this year's annual Food and Wine Classic in Aspen will feature three CBD companies, Carry On, Lord Jones, and Red Belly Honey, all of which were chosen because they are all, quote unquote, high-end brands that support people's wellness mission. So Jed, what makes the difference when it comes to a luxury cannabis product? Well, in our view, you know, we started as luxury meets cannabis conference and that it was the entry point for a, the normalization for a lot of people. It was artisan ingredients. It was high price point. And just like in fashion, what we've noticed and, you know, has now we're now seeing is that a proliferation of products um, at lots of different price points. And so luxury is not really, doesn't really mean to us anymore price point but intention around ingredients and source and packaging and a, and a founder's story uh, and now, and being sustainable. And, and that's really, and of course, you know, equity and impact into that. And, um, and so that's really what luxury means, means to us and what we're seeing because we have brands that are in Neiman Marcus. We have participating brands that are in CVS and Vitamin Shop, um, and Bloomingdale's, and so, and Whole Foods, and Erewhon, and so uh, that's kind of what luxury means to us, is that kind of intentionality around how you create and formulate, and your source, and how you put it into the world, and food and wine is a great example, because it is, uh, speaks to the mainstreaming of the category, and so we love to see that. John, anything to add to that as far as what's kind of the differentiator for a luxury cannabis brand? I I love the way Jet has just characterized it because I think there's two dimensions here. In the early stages of the industry, price really was one of the different, what what was one of the ways you could just kind of differentiate uh, what was the premium end of the market, the luxury end of the market. But one of the things that we've seen as the industry has evolved, and I think this has become particularly pronounced over the past two to three years, um, is just the level of thoughtfulness that goes into these. Uh, 
Um, and, and you can really tell the difference. And, and it's manifest not, necessarily, not just in, in price point, because there's such a broad spectrum of, of prices in this market now um, that the price alone is no longer that differentiating to qualify. But you can tell you can tell the, the level of thoughtfulness that has gone into the way a package is designed, the way the messaging is done, the way the uh, product is formulated. Um, and, and, you know, the, the consumer may not necessarily feel like they are benefiting from that quote-unquote luxury just because they're spending more, but because they found a brand that, that they feel kind of gives them that, that premium, that luxury experience. So I think that's kind of the one side of it, which is um, the disaggregation of price with uh, a luxury or high-end feel. Uh, but I think second, there's been this awakening um, in, in the kind of product innovation, brand development ecosystem where um, the industry is really waking up to this idea that within the broader cannabis ecosystem, the consumer ecosystem, um, there's a lot of consumers who are willing to pay that premium for uh, for quality, for an experience, for a thoughtfully kind of uh, and carefully structured message. You know, the, the, the stereotype and archetypes that have so long defined who the cannabis consumer is, I think, are finally being really challenged by the emergence of the cannabis consumer out of the shadows. And we're realizing, hang on, these, these do represent the entire cross-section of not just American, but global society. And within that, you have, you know, the ultra-wealthy Emiratis to the, the you know, um, subsistence farmer kind of Africans and everything in between. And so for, for the brands and for the product developers, you start to realize that one size fits all may have gotten the industry to the first phase of its evolution, but the next stage of opportunity is going to be in understanding um, these, these hyper-segmentable categories of consumers and really developing uh, thoughtfully um, highly targeted, uh, really effective products uh, that meet those consumers where they sit. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, from a retail perspective, I, I like what you said about global. We see it as hitting, this is the year, arguably, that it hits the global retail mainstream. And like you said, I love how you use the word thoughtful. One of our partners used the word, everything we do is considered, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's, it's kind of similar and and you have all of these price points and it's the maturation into yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like one of the first multi-generational product categories in in ever potentially you know not to mention pet not to mention i mean there's so many different ways to slice it and then to your point it's how brands are differentiating and, you know, I've heard, oh, there's a new, there's 50 new brands on the market every day. And I said, yes, that's a good thing. When was the last time someone said that about fashion or a beauty brand? There, there, there's thousands of brands that come out and, you know, like we used to call, you know, digital marketing, internet marketing or digital marketing. It's like, this is like, it's just marketing. It's just, this is a product, a CPG category that hopefully we continue to support and grow in an intentional, thoughtful way. Just speaking on like, you know, all these different brands coming out all, all the time, what are, what would you say are just some effective ways that producers can build a luxury brand or to stand out from the competition since there are so many brands coming into the market all the time? Well, I think it's, you know, if we're speaking about, I think it's 
differentiation. It's like, and you have to be passionate about consistently refining your products and your story and your marketing. It's, it's, you can't just dip your toes in, you know, we've seen big players kind of dip their toes in and put either cannabis or CBD uh, on a product. And then, you know, that commitment wasn't necessarily there. So, you know, I, it just kind of disappeared. So I, I don't think it's something, I think it's around, this sounds, might sound a little non-data driven, sorry, new frontier, but it's, it's about, I think, commitment to a category and being really specific and going, as John said, being, going deep into that market segment or market segments. Um, and really paying attention to what's out there. I mean, two, three years ago, I feel like you could kind of just test the waters and do quite do well. And now you really have to look, I think, what's out there, you know, and but thankfully there there's I feel there's so much more opportunity now. I would say in 2018, 19, you had skincare, beauty, a lot of the CBD brands, thankfully, you know, uh, entering the market and getting people comfortable with a cannabinoid. Um, but now you have food and beverage, you have pet, you have, um, you know, skincare, beauty, wellness, um, you know, all of those. It's like there, there's, there could be 10 or 12 core, core categories that, you know, are being defined in real time. So, well, speaking of just as far as food and beverage and everything else, um, you know, when it, when it comes to how we were talking about earlier, the normalization of these, of cannabis and CBD products, how significant are events like this food and wine classic, including CBD in there? Um, I think it's huge because they have a broad mainstream audience and it's speaks to brands being CBD and cannabis inclusive rather than exclusive, where it's, that's all they, they have, you know, and it's entered into the hospitality channel or, you know, and, and they say with New, you know, New York moving towards legalization that a place like New York will lead the way in how cannabis and CBD is looked at from uh, experience from a hospitality standpoint in restaurants, hotels and bars and, and tra the travel industry. So now, you know, you're seeing all these uh, buying channels open up. So it's not just retailers, it's hotels, it's spas, it's restaurants, it's, uh, and then, you know, our, we come from a retail background. So we're always looking at retail, brick and mortar retail trends. And so we talk to brands and retailers and, and there's so much innovation around um, experiences, even coming out of the pandemic. Yes, you have to be more thoughtful, but an experience or something experiential like food and wine festival is, is a huge uh, boon to, to the category. Yeah, John and I, we actually did an episode on canatourism and it was ah, yeah. incredible. Right, John, right. John, what are your thoughts on it at being at the Food and Wine Classic? So, so a couple of things. One, it's really affirmative to this idea that both the Food and Wine Classic and the types of organizations, businesses that would ordinarily exhibit at the Food and Wine Classic are recognizing that their consumers are CBD and, and uh, cannabis consumers. And so the, the, the part of this, and what I think is central to this normalization, is 
um, the continued erosion of this silo, these silos that have segregated the cannabis consumer where they exist from everything else that they do as conventional consumers in the rest of the economy. And so the more participation that you will see uh, of, of um, CBD brands, of cannabis brands, um, at, at high-end events, at really, really well-curated events, it not only challenges the expectations and assumptions of, of the participants attending those uh, events, but also the other brands that are exhibiting. Um, and, and, and I think that's a really important part of the, the acceleration of this, uh, of this transition where uh, CBD cannabis uh, no longer kind of sit set apart from the rest of the consumer economy, uh, but are increasingly treated like, yes, perhaps a more intensely regulated, uh, but no different kind of consumer, consumer goods than anything else that uh, might exist out in the marketplace. And because of that, then gives you all of the different points of intersectionality that you would expect for uh, uh, brands that perform at different levels um, of price point, value, uh, luxury, etc. Yeah, John, this feels like it's falling right in line with all the conversations we've had about just the normalization and how it's been coming. And it's been kind of coming up even faster now that it seems like a lot of people are more adopting it. Um, all right, well, moving on, um, our next article, High Times, reported cannabis trailblazers winner circle genetics specialize in creating luxury strains. So presentation is not the only consideration for cannabis producers. When it comes to different cannabis strains, luxury is more... It's more than just potency. The flavor and the smell are also pretty key factors. Um, John, I'll kick this one over to you first. What role do you think, you know, strains and genetics play in building a luxury product or brand? So I think we had an, an, an interesting transition point in the role of, of quote unquote, luxury strains um, uh, gaining traction in the market or being leveraged as a, as a point of differentiating the market. So first, maybe starting with, Part of the evolution that we've seen. You know, I remember when Candescent, one of California's biggest brands, was initially out in the market and they were out kind of raising capital to, to build their brand. And one of the challenges that, that, that they would often meet from investors is who in their right mind would pay $60, $70, $80 an eighth for cannabis in California of all markets? Well, you know, what, one of the things that Candescent ultimately, I think, proved very successfully is um, there's a lot of consumers who are willing to pay that premium, uh, both for high quality cannabis, but a presentation of that high quality cannabis in a package that's reflective, in a presentation that, that's reflective of that price point, which has made Candescent one of the top performing brands in the state. There's consumers who are willing to pay that, that price point. Uh, in another extreme kind of illustration, you've got brands like uh, Layer, I believe is the pronunciation, who are selling like $10,000 cannabis cigars, like real statements here that, that um, you know, it's, it's one-off, obviously it's going to come in velvet clad and it's gold leaf coated. I mean, this is an ultra, ultra premium price point product. Um, but, you know, hard to argue that the cannabis inside that joint is going to be that much dramatically different than what you'd be getting if you're paying for a thousand dollar joint, where the value aspect, where, where the premium aspect for that for that cannabis cigar is coming in is in its presentation. I mean, they, they really kind of make an investment to um, uh, to showcase this ultra premium product uh, in a package and in a, in a presentation that makes you feel like, yeah, this is worth a thousand dollars or the ten thousand dollars I paid for this one. Um, cigar. So the, the, the 
caliber of, of breeding that has been happening uh, across this country in the legal markets has, I think, dramatically elevated the overall quality of, um, of cannabis available in the U.S. But what I think now brands are doing is leveraging not only um, exquisitely grown cannabis, often micro-batch or, or, or um, uh, um, very, very curated selections, um, with a brand, with a packaging, with a messaging that allows them to command that, that premium. Um, uh, because, you know, I, I don't think the cannabis industry quite yet is at the point where, you know, the, the, um, you have vintages that would be akin to wine, you know, 1960, or, you know, shut enough to pop or something, whatever the case may be <laughs> in wine. I, I don't think the, the plant itself yet allows for that scale of differentiation of a 60-year-old vintage wine that's been well-preserved in a premium cellar. Uh, but what I do think there's huge opportunity for is for brands to marry very high quality, well-grown cannabis um, with a packaging, with a, with a messaging, with a um, uh, target audience that enable them to capture that really, really high price point or premium end of the market. Yeah, I feel like this actually, I mean, when you think about luxury in every other industry, you have like wine, that's you have $600 bottle of wine and, you know. Yeah. Jed from fashion, you know, you could have a leather jacket by a certain designer that will go for $1,500. <laughs> I mean, it's, and, it's and pretty people mix, mix and match, they high yeah, and low. Exactly. Again, it's the source. It's this kind of wine micro brew approach, you know, where one size does not fit all. And it's really taste level. And what was eye-opening as we started getting into this is that just like in alcohol, it's really not the how much alcohol, what the content is, just like, you know, uh, you know, for instance, my my father will say, well, I need something with the highest THC content. I, and then I said, no, you don't, because it's not really about how high the THC content is. It's like, you know, these, uh, when you go into these dispensaries, they're, they're like sommeliers, the good ones, you know, and you're really learning about what is in there. And it's not just, it's a personalized experience, just like some people like certain wines and from certain regions and certain, uh, you know, types of beers and certain types of moisturizer and certain types of, it, it's a very personal kind of wellness regimen, you know, and I think to piggyback on what John said, it's just, it's the luxury is in the, in the taste of the individual, you know, person, you know, and I think brands that lean into a target audience of those segments around that are, you know, like Candescent are going to do really well. And it's not just about THC content. Give me the most THC content. I want to spend the most money. You actually, you know, that's where education comes in. And I think that's where this industry by necessity has had to lead the way, whether it's CBD, cannabis, like you have really professional retail educators like you'd find at a Sephora counter. You know, it's 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 pretty amazing. Now, do you feel this the the kind of uh, you know strain specific products are going to be is there going to be a lot of demand for it in the value added products like topicals and edibles and infused beverages and such? I think you know again, it's how it's personal. It's how things taste, and you know, it really there's this big movement uh, around ingredient purveyors who can provide this stuff at scale and partner with these brands to infuse whether it's skincare beauty 
beverage food like like honey you know to make it taste like it's we 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 expect good things to taste you know and i think that's where we're seeing a, t- a ton of innovation you know uh on the molecular level even so um so i think that's that's kind of what we're we're seeing these brands have these an amazing idea and they'll partner with a best in class you know purveyor so that's such an important point jed and and i think goes back to a question Heather had asked already about how one goes about kind of differentiating yourself in in, in an um, I, I think there's a few layers there. One is really understanding who your target consumer is. Um, right. As the intelligence around consumers has grown, there's really rich opportunity to find um, untapped or underrepresented segments in this market. Um, second is finding that untapped or, or underrepresented value proposition. Right. You know, the, the initial stage of, of this market has been, there's been so much clustering around kind of the tried and true. Uh, and so I think of the example of 1906, the, the edibles manufacturer out of Colorado, yeah. who everybody was telling them that pills don't sell because pills uh-huh. were an category in the market. Well, the reason pills weren't selling a lot is because there weren't a lot of good pills on the market. Um, and, and as soon as they came up with their formulation, their product started, uh, you know, really, really took off and became the best-selling assets in, the, in their portfolio. So just don't, there's a, there's a real opportunity to challenge the conventional wisdom in the way the industry has been operating, um, because so much of it has been about going with what works rather than innovating around new categories. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk around uh, consumers want more important, more potent, uh, stronger products. Well, beverage companies like Can have really challenged that idea with a really low dose product. So, so well said. And with the technology now, you can be, you know, with a pill form or a supplement form, you can be so precise. So your consumer knows what to expect and it's very consistent. And, you know, speaking of other categories, innovation, we're seeing a ton of innovation around fragrance, for instance, you know, so that is kind of a little white space there. And, and so there's like, to your point, John, there, you know, where is the white space? It just seems like more and more is, is appearing, you know, daily in this uh, segment. So true. Jed, any, any predictions for the future of luxury products and cannabis? <laughs> I, 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 you know, again, come at it from a retail standpoint because our mission is to bring mainstream and uh, cannabis retailers to these uh, brands and and founders. So I think you're going to start to see little by little more and more large retailers like the vitamin shop, um, like Sephora, you know, really go deep into this category. And I think what you're going to see is mainstream, we call them crossover retailers. Um, You know, you're already starting to see it. Crossover retailers and cannabis retailers are going to start to converge and they're already influencing each other. Cannabis retailers are carrying homeware. They're carrying fragrance. They're carrying home accessories. They're carrying fashion like a superette, you know, or a Farnsworth. Um, And then you have uh, big retailers who are starting to carry cannabis accessories as part of this lifestyle mix. So the, the big prediction is A, this is the year in 2022 that this hits a global retail 
mainstream and and two or b is uh that they're going these two kinds of retailers are are going to um continue to influence each other which only opens up this buying channel and supports the industry even more so amazing thank you john what's your prediction or or hopes or thoughts (laughs) so one thesis that we've been that I have been percolating over is this idea of the really critical role that the luxury consumer is going to play in the normalization of cannabis. So let's kind of make this intuitive leap that generally um, consumers who are at the highest price point end of our economy, the consumers who are willing to pay those premiums are generally the ones who are sitting in positions of influence of power in our economic sectors. So whether that's in finance and fashion and CPG and government and policy, um, the wealthiest people, generally the people who are um, at, at, at the most consequential points of influence. And so as you start to see um, these products going into the homes of these uh, of this strata of society, um, I think that ends up having a much more consequential impact or much more consequential potential in disrupting policy and challenging kind of the status quo and in, in driving uh, the mass market uh, 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 for cannabis uh, in a way that the lower end of the market just isn't able to do because of that disconnect between where the lower end of the market sits and, and the positions of power in our society. So yes, it, it, this does speak to this idea that we live in a, in a stratified hierarchical society. That's, I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, but the more that that people who drive this economy um, are seeing and interacting and, and have these, these products in their homes or using them themselves, then I think it dramatically lowers some of the inertia for change, for acceptance, for introduction uh, in our common spaces um, uh, in the future. And, and so I think over the next couple of years, uh, the greater uh, momentum that we see around uh, this idea of cannabis uh, and cannabis-infused luxury goods and, and their mainstreaming, I, I think that actually is going to have quite significant influence um, in uh, expanding access, expanding kind of normalization, expa- uh, accelerating the policy conversation uh, because of whose homes these products are going into. And I, I wanted to ask John something, you know, that was so well said, you know, I can literally listen to you talk for hours because it, it's just so spot on, you know, what needs to happen and by when for us to see the first great national luxury brand or global luxury brand in the space. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts, but kind of isn't that where we're headed potentially, right? You know, so I'd love to not to play interviewer, but I'm so curious. I just want to borrow your brain, John, you know, so. So so I think a major distribution outlet providing a platform for these products to have a home and and willing to kind of take that bet where where it's it's not just that we're now carrying it, but we're actually putting together um, a, a partnership model. I think that's going to be really critical. I think it's much more likely to happen on the CBD side than it is on the THC side. Um, and and the acceptance of uh, these CBD products, particularly in Asia's like in markets like South Korea, which are such major drivers of the, of the cosmetics uh, 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 market. If we see that combination of, of a major global brand or a major brand in one of these markets, say we're willing to embrace 
uh, a leading C a leading CBD brand that is at that kind of premium luxury end of the market. Um, uh, is that if that is happening at the same time that we're seeing this kind of growing acceptance and ability to penetrate um, um, not just the European markets, but particularly the South Asian markets, uh, which are big spenders on these products and do have uh, a penchant for pursuing the luxury end of the market, uh, then I think you've got the recipe for the makings of a global CBD premium uh, premium brand. Um, how quickly that happens, I think, is uh, remains to be seen, particularly just given some of the jitteriness in the way American public policy, American legal policy is currently evolving, uh, coupled with some of the fits and starts with um, the way particularly the South Asian, but also to a lesser extent, the European markets are evolving, where you know, just last year we were questioning whether the European government was going to shut down CBD entirely. Um, in, in Asia, it's, it's more about, yes, they've legalized it, but finding a point of ingress to get these products into the country remains really, really challenging. Um, so there's, I think, two, two barriers. You'll need a retail partner and you'll need some um, more robust regulatory reform in, in the international markets uh, for this to happen. But I think both of these wheels are turning in tandem. Um, and I anticipate that within the next couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw a couple of breakout stars start to make global waves. Amazing. Well, there you have it. Um, all right. Well, we're almost out of time. But before we go, Jed, we give our guests the opportunity to give a shout out to someone in the industry or someone that you admire that's doing great things. Thank you. I mean, there's so many people in the industry doing amazing things that I respect, but I'm, I'm going to go personal again and give my wife Thea a shout out because as many know, uh, pandemic parenting is an Olympic sport unto itself. And without her, I would not be able to do what we're doing uh, and certainly not at this, this level. So that's, that's my shout out. Um, and uh, thank you for that opportunity to go personal again. So. Oh, well, I'm sure your wife appreciates it. I'm sure all wives out there appreciate that. <laughs> send her the recording to prove this. So yes. please send it post haste right away. <laughs> so, thank you. Oh, well, appreciate thank you. It. Thank you so much for your time and joining us here at Canada Week. And to our listeners, please be sure again to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And if you really like us, leave us a five-star review. And please check out our latest report on the global cannabis industry by visiting newfrontierdata.com backslash global dash cannabis. I am your host, Heather Wicklin, and I will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.